You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Podcast. Find out more about Northside by visiting us online at northsideweb.org. Philippians, four chapters. We are in a series this month on the book of Philippians. Four chapters, four Sundays. We're in week number two. It is a book all about joy. About 19 words that are joy and references to joy are used in those four chapters. And so it's all about joy, but what's really kind of amazing is Paul is writing this letter from a place where you wouldn't think joy would come from. He's writing from prison, and yet he's just so filled with joy. And so we want to try to figure out why is he so filled with joy, and how can we have that kind of joy too? The first chapter last week started out with um, he was thinking of other people. Uh, even though he's in prison, you know, a lot of people, maybe you know people like this, they, they're in a bad situation, so they just waller, and they just waller in their own self-pity. And it's like Paul was not doing that. He was thinking about other people, and then how thankful he was of other people, how thankful he was of their partnership. He was even thankful of being in prison, not because he's a mascist. He wanted to go to Rome as a preacher, but he went as a prisoner But he still went to Rome, and he was glad because it further advanced the gospel, because his life was all about Christ. So it really didn't matter the situation and circumstances he was in. What really mattered was all about Christ. So your joy is going to be found in Christ. We're further going to talk about that in chapter 2. Before we do that, uh, I think a lot of people in our world kind of confuse joy and happiness kind of together. It's kind of the same thing, kind of different a little bit. But if you would go out just out in the streets, highways, byways somewhere, and you would ask people, what is the path to happiness? You know, I think most of them would probably say something like, well, you go to college, you get a good education, you get a good job, you get married, you have kids, you, uh, okay, maybe not have kids, no, have kids, um, you make a lot of money, and you retire. And then you're going to have a good life and live happily ever after. And I think that's kind of what the world thinks is, is what's going to bring happiness. But ultimately, that really doesn't kind of bring happiness. And I'll give you one good reason why. It, it, it really is through humility. People don't really even kind of recognize that. But here's the reason why. It, you can have lots of money. You can have lots of fame and fortune and good things happen in your life. But all you have to do is have a little bit of conflict in your life. And joy just gets sapped away. Now, Now, everybody here has conflict in some regard or another. Some of you are in conflict right now, or you have been, or or you will be facing conflict. And and you, all of a sudden, you can have a lot of money, and you're in a major conflict, and you don't have joy. You can have a lot of things, you can have a good job, but if you don't have joy, if you have a lot of conflict, it's going to take that joy away from you. And so that is a super killjoy of our joy is when we have conflict. We all have conflict. So humility, which chapter 2 talks about, is really a path to our happiness or to our joy because we're not not, uh, all the time fighting and in conflict because it teaches us really how to reduce some of that. Look at Proverbs chapter 13. Uh, One verse says this, pride, this is the living Bible by the way, pride always leads to arguments. So, So a lot of us have a lot of pride. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit, and it leads to arguments. So today in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to study just really the first half of the chapter because it talks all about humility and the joy that that brings and how God will lift up those people who are full of humility. Here's, uh, let's start with verse 1. I want to read it today out of the New Living Translation, which is uh, a little bit easier to read, a little bit easier to comprehend, but then we'll go back and study it, and we'll study it through the New International Version. So let's read it in the New New Living Translation. Is there any encouragement from being to Christ, from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love? 
Any fellowship together with the, in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish and try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others also. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him or elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so let's talk about this a little bit and break it down. How does he talk about humility and how does that lead to joy? Here's number one. You need to complete, not compete. Now, and when I say that this morning, not compete, I'm not talking about athletic competitions because I really believe in athletic competitions. Uh, I believe the Bible says as iron sharpens one man, uh, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So I, I think competition is good. But what I'm talking about is, is you, we need to complete each other, not compete. And if you're a marriage, a husband and wife, and you're always competing against each other, or if you're in, at work and you're competing against each other, and just being, if you're in Congress and president, you're always competing, that's not going to bring joy and happiness anywhere, okay? And so that's what I'm talking about. You need to complete, not compete. Here's why I say that. Look at verse 2. Make my joy complete. This is what Paul's saying. Make it fulfilled by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit, and of one mind. He mentions four kinds of harmony there. The same mind, that means we have mental harmony. Same love, that's emotional harmony. One in spirit means we are spiritually harmony. Uh, one mind means we have the same direction and purpose in life and where we're going. Now, if you had all four of those, wouldn't that make a great marriage? Well, absolutely it would. Do you know why so many people don't have great marriages? Because they simply just don't do what God tells them to do. And that's what part of the problem is. So, so everybody has conflict. And uh, if you've ever gotten tired of conflict in your life, then you probably picked a pretty good Sunday to come to church this morning because that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, but what we're going to talk about is absolutely 100% radical counterculture. It is not what we're going to learn out there in the world. Um, and uh, there aren't many really real successful relationships out there. Uh, people really struggle with that. And bottom line is because we just really don't follow God, God, what God tells us to do. So complete. Be, be united in one mind, one heart, one spirit. Be, be unity. Have that harmony. And if you do, that's going to bring that completeness. Here's number two. Never let pride be your guide. You'd be surprised how many times that we're just, just led by our pride. Pride is one of the roots of every other sin. Pride is the sin that got Satan kicked out of heaven. And, and probably every conflict that we have has some kind of element of pride in it. I'm right, she's wrong, or vice versa, and, and there's a little bit of pride. If you look at the word pride, the very center letter is I. If you look at the word crime, 
the center letter is I. If you look at the word sin, the center letter is I. We have an I problem. I, I, I. I want, I want, I want, and I want it now. And it causes all kinds of problems in our relationship. So never let pride be your guide. That, by the way, that reminded me of an old song by Toby Keith, I Want to Talk About Me. I want to talk about I. I want to talk about number one. Oh me, oh my. What I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see. I like talking about you, you, you usually, but occasionally I want to talk about me. You want to talk about me. And I think, I'm sure most of you probably heard that song, right? No, probably. We don't listen to country music around here. Uh, but yeah, we hear that, and that's kind of part of the problem. But, but it, it's countercultural. One of the reasons it's countercultural is because in our country, we, uh, we feed on narcissism. And there's a lot of narcissism to go around. Um, let me illustrate this way. Sometimes it is the most arrogant athletes, it is the most arrogant uh, celebrities, the most uh, ego-centered, uh, self-centered entertainers are the ones that make the most money. They get paid the most and the most attention given to them. The biggest ego makes the biggest money. Uh, they get the most press. But, but here's what Paul says. Look at verse 3. Do, this is first part of verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vi- vain conceit. He says, don't do anything. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Um, you know what selfish ambition is? When it's like, it's all about me, all about me. And don't do anything about vain conceit. That's, I- I'm always right. And when you have one or both of these attitudes, you're just going to have problems in, in life because that's what it's going to bring. Selfish ambitions are things like my needs, my wants, my fears, my successes, my career. Um, that we know people that have walked out of their marriages because it didn't fit into their career. And their career became before their marriage, so it was all about them. Um, and, you know, when you have that kind of selfish ambition, it's just going to cause problems in your life. That's why humility is a path to joy. Look at James chapter 3. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. And so it doesn't matter where you are, if you have a lot of, of, of selfish ambition and envy, you're going to have problems. You're going to have problems in your marriage. You're going to have problems at work. You'll have problems at school. You'll have problems everywhere you go if, if there's lots of selfish ambition and envy going on. Uh, if you won't play ball with me the way I want to play ball, then I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go home. And that's just kind of the attitude. I love the way the Living Bible translates it. It says, don't live to make a good impression on others. The Today's English version translates it this way. Don't do anything from a cheap desire to boast. That would maybe be a good verse to look at before we posted something on social media, Instagram, Facebook, because there's a real tendency to make our lives better than what they really are. Uh, but we don't just do it on social media. We do it in lots of, lots of different areas, too. So never let pride be my guide. You ever wondered why uh, a lot of marriages don't last, uh, particularly celebrity marriages? They can't seem to stay committed. I think here's one of the reasons, this selfish ambition and vain conceit. Let's kind of illustrate it this way. Um, um, If you're a celebrity, you can sometimes have millions of adorning fans. Uh, They they, uh, jump on everything that you say. They applaud everything that you do. And uh, they kind of think you've got this major big status, like, like you're a god. And part of the problem is then they start thinking like they are a god. And so everybody thinks like they're a god. They think like they're a god, except for one person. And that's the person they're married to. Because the person they're married to knows that they have bad breath. They have body odor. They snore at night. They want their way. And so, so all of a sudden, here's one person that says, hey, you're not all that. 
And then they would say, what's wrong with you? Because everybody else is like that. And so, again, it just causes lots and lots of, lots of problems that way. The book of Galatians, Paul writes that book as well. He talks about the sinful nature uh, is how he describes it there. And he lists like 17 sins that are all relational sins that are going to destroy us if we have this selfish ambition when it's all about us. Look at what he says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. When you follow the desires of the sinful nature or the flesh, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. You know, because what he's saying here is the natural desire is think about self. And I want to get what self wants. And it doesn't matter who it else, who it hurts, or, or anything else that I use. It doesn't really matter because it's all about getting my needs met. And that's what people think about. So never let pride be your guide because it will lead to all kinds of selfish ambition, vain conceit, and all kinds of problems that are going to happen in your life. So complete, don't compete. Never let pride be your guide. Here's the third one. Be humble or you're going to stumble. All right? Um, if I'm not humble, then my relationships are going to start crumbling uh, in that regard. Uh, humility is um, you, you don't act like you know it all. You, uh, you treat each other with respect. So the first part of that, verse 3, look at what the last part says. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, the first part. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Can you see that's just exactly the opposite of what the world teaches? Because the world teaches what's best for me. Look out for number one. Um, You've got to live for yourself. Whatever makes me happy, uh, I'm going to do. If it feels good, do it. And that selfish, self-centered, narcissistic rules are just going to really bring hurt and heartache in your life. Um, and so Paul comes along and he says, no, you don't do things out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. You want to value others more than yourself because that's really what, what brings joy. Now, I think humility is, is kind of misunderstood today. Uh, some people you think have great humility and they say things, they go around saying things like, I'm no good, I'm nothing, I'm zero, I'm zip, I'm nada, I can't do anything right. That's not humility. That's a false humility. That's just degrading yourself. Uh, look at this quote here. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. You see the difference there? So it's not about thinking about yourself all the time. It's about thinking less of yourself because you're thinking more about other people as well. The focus is not on you. Um, and so it's like when you enter a room, sometimes people think, well, what do people think? How do I look? And what, you know, what's, rather than coming in thinking about us, who, who's here? Who can I help? Who can I bless? Who can, who can I build up? So humility is not really just putting yourself down. Humility is trying to build other people up and honoring them above yourself. Um, it, it's uh, understanding that, yeah, you have some strengths, but it's also being honest that you have some weaknesses too. And every one of us are in that category. Every one of us has some things that we are good at, and, and, and that's okay. And everybody has some weaknesses that maybe we're not so good at. And humility is being honest that, no, I can't do everything. Uh, and, and people that are close to you will, will all understand that. So rather, in humility, value others better than yourselves. Um, why, why should I be humble? Do you know there are probably more promises that God gives in humility, about humility, than maybe almost anything else in the Bible except for your generosity? 
I think, man, that's, that's interesting. But God says when we are humble, he will give us his presence, his power, his peace. Uh, he'll make us prosperous, even successful. Uh, he'll give us great honor. That's everything that everybody wants in life. And it comes through humility, not through pride, um, not through back bragging and boasting and, and pretending to be something that we're not. God blesses the person that is humble. You don't believe me? Look at this verse in James chapter 4. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So uh, notice the good and the bad. He opposes the proud, the egotist, the arrogant, the pride, the conceited, the self-centeredness, the self-promotion. That's pride. And, and God stands against that. But it says that he, he uh, honors, uh, you know, he lifts up, uh, shows favor or grace to the humble. Um, you know, in other words, your humility is just as important as you being right, or maybe almost as important. You can be right on any issue, but if you come at it from being pride and boastful, then you're wrong, because that's not how God would want you to come across in that way. And I think it's really interesting. You can have the right politics, but you can be prideful and arrogant about it. You can have the right doctrinal position, but if you are right, or if you are proud and boastful about that, then then you're not being humble. And so you're, you're, God opposes the proud. So He gives us grace to the humble. We all need grace. Grace will help us in our relationships. Grace will help us to forgive those people when we really don't feel like forgiving. Grace will help us to um, uh, compromise when we. We don't feel like compromising. It'll help us to resolve conflicts when we don't feel like resolving those conflicts. It will help us to get along, to build better, stronger relationships in that. So never let pride be your guide. Don't uh, be humble or you're going to stumble. Look what he goes on to say in verse 4. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. In other words, just don't be concerned about your agenda, your plans, your career, everything about you. You need to be concerned about other people too. Uh, sometimes you even see it with fathers that are so interested in their careers and their kids take a back seat. It's like they're not even interested in what their kids are doing. And I think that's a, that's a tragedy in our society. So be interested in, in others. Uh, those are the kind of things that build up uh, build up relationships. Uh, let me give you an example. If right now I took my phone out and I took a picture of this congregation and I had it, it uh, blown up or I had a, one made for everybody and I gave everybody a copy of that, do you know what everybody would do? Almost the natural thing to do, you look at that picture and your guys go right to where you're seated and you want to say, oh, my hair looks good, you know, or oh, mm, that jacket makes me look fat makes me look old. Oh, that's not very good. And so, so we all, we'd all judge. We'd all judge that based on how we looked. If we look good, oh, that's a great picture. If we look bad, oh, that's a bad picture because that's our frame of reference. But Paul says, if you really, really want to be happy, full of joy, you've got to change that point of reference. You can't just focus on yourself all the time. You need to focus on other people and then God will bless you. It's human nature. Just think about yourself, but you really want to be happy. You've got to change your point of reference. So let me ask you a frank question. Are you interested only what concerns you? Do you get bored when other people talk to you about their plans and what's going on in their life? Uh, when somebody's talking to you, does your mind start to wonder and you start to think about everything else and it's like, how do I get out of this place? Do you think, uh, do you find yourself, your attention drifting to other things? You know, one of the greatest gifts that you can give to people is your attention. You know, there's a difference between listening and like really listening, paying attention. Because sometimes we listen and, and it's like we're not really listening. He 
you guys know what I mean. And it's like, honor one another better than yourselves. Uh, but you know, you ever had that when you think that you're listening, you're not really listening, somebody else is listening? I think about that on Sunday morning. It's like, I went on a pre- what did he just say? I don't know. But anyway, <clears throat> there are great examples. Uh, here's the next part. Ask what Jesus would do. That became very, very popular years ago. And it sounds very, very trite, but it's very, very true. Okay? If you want humility, you want joy in your life, ask yourself, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do if he were in this problem? What would Jesus do if he were in this office? What would Jesus do if he were in this situation? What would Jesus do if he were in this marriage? What would Jesus do? Because when Jesus would answer that question, his, what he would do would build harmony. It would forgive sins. It would build happiness. He would, uh, difficulty and sin and defeat and bitterness and resentment all would start going away if we would do what Jesus would do. Let me give you three examples uh, that this passage gives about Jesus Christ. Here's number one. I don't demand what I think I deserve. That is the first principle. It is one of selflessness. In other words, instead of me going through life thinking about myself all the time and thinking that I deserve a whole lot, whether I deserve it or not, that, that I think about, I'm not going to demand what I deserve. You know, we go into a place and, uh, and all of a sudden somebody doesn't treat us very well. We think that clerk is a jerk. And all of a sudden we get mad and we start demanding uh, our rights. And we may have those rights, but, but we, we don't demand those rights. Where do we get that? Look at the next couple of verses, 6 and 7. Who, and this is Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. I want you to think about it. Jesus is God. He comes to this earth, takes the form of a servant, uh, becomes a human being. He dies on the cross, and he does not demand his rights. But as God, he had all kinds of rights. Now, in America, we're raised, you got rights. And when we feel like we have rights, we feel like we ought to demand those rights. And he says, you know, that is not a really a good way to get your rights. In fact, sometimes it's absolutely the worst. If you demand your rights, you know what people do? They get resentful, and they don't want to do what you want them to do. Uh, you know, you might say as a husband or a wife, I got my rights. Well, as a husband or wife, you probably do have your rights. But I think demanding is probably not the best way to get that if you're talking about your marriage. Um, so um, the Christ-like thing to do is not demand what you think that you deserve. Um, uh, let me put it another way. Suppose you're going to hire somebody. Let's, gonna, let's say you're going to hire somebody in the church, a potential church member. And you watch, uh, you take them out to lunch. You watch how they treat the waitress. If they are demanding and even deme- demeaning, it's like, that's no place for them. Because you, you don't demand things in that regard. You can be tender without surrender, without demanding everything. And if I want to be like Jesus, then I'm gonna, not going to demand things, even if I think I deserve those things. Here's number two, this example. I look for ways that I can serve. First one was selflessness. Here's the second one, service. Uh, That's what Jesus did. Look at verse 7. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. If you want to be like Jesus, you need to learn to serve. Uh, That's exactly the opposite of our culture. Our culture says, hey, the more people you can get to serve you, the more important you are. And Jesus says, no, it's really just the opposite of that. The way to up is down. God's value system is, is altogether different. Self-esteem does not come from your status, your salary, or your stuff. It comes from your humility and serving other people. Uh, that We might call it the Mother Teresa principle. You remember when Mother Teresa was alive and she gave her life 
to feeding the poorest of the poor and caring for the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, India. And because of that, she was lifted up to a status where she had influence over the United Nations and over Congress. And I think, wow, I wish, I wish she were still alive today. We could certainly use that. But God blesses those who are humble. Um, and sometimes we're not so humble. For instance, let's take our church. We, we leave our church. We're walking down the hallway. We see a piece of trash, and we just walk right by that because I'm not a servant. Somebody else's job to do that, and I'm not going to do that. Uh, we go to the grocery store. We take our cart out. Instead of taking the cart back or putting where it belongs, it's like, hey, that's somebody else's job. I'm not going to do it. And, and what that means is, is we're, we're not being a servant like Christ would have taught us to be a servant. And uh, you know what happens is um, crisis is uh, uh, that reveals our character. But it's built in the day-to-day things that we do every day. And some of those things are tests in how we're going to grow in, in Christ. Let me give you an illustration. I'm sure that most of you have heard about Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A was started by Truett Cathy. His son, Dan Cathy, they're a very religious family, very Christian-oriented family. His son, Dathy, uh, Dan Cathy, became uh, the uh, CEO. And so they were going to open a new store in California, and he was out with Rick Warren, who's a very famous preacher out in California, has written several books and gotten very famous, but he was out uh, spending the day with uh, Rick Warren. So Rick Warren is telling this story, and they were going to go over to a place called Foothill Ranch, and they were going to open a new Chick-fil-A. So they went over there to see it, and this Chick-fil-A was not open yet, but they were hungry, so they went next door to the Taco Bell. Okay, who's the real loser here, right? No, anyway, they went to, they went to Taco Bell. And when they went into Taco Bell, he said they'd been out all day. They, they were kind of sweaty, and their hands were sweaty and dirty. So they went in the restroom to, to uh, wash their hands. And when they went in to wash their hands, he watched Dan Cathy, the CEO of Chick-fil-A, take out several uh, uh, towels that you dry your hands off, and he began cleaning the sinks there in Taco Bell. And Rick Warren said he just, he just watched him in amazement, And after he was done, he said, I looked at him and I said, thank you for doing that, Dan. And then here's what Dan Cathy said, Rick, we teach our staff to always leave any place they are better than it was when they found it, whether it's our place or not. And then Rick Warren said, nobody in that Taco Bell and nobody at Taco Bell corporate will know that the CEO of their competition just cleaned their bathroom for free. He said, that's what's called the heart of a servant. They even have a book about it, a book called Second Mile Service. Is it any wonder why Chick-fil-A has been nominated, or has been three years, the number one fast food restaurant in America? Um, it, it's because God honors humble service. And so if we want to be like Jesus, we're going to look for ways to serve. Look what Martin Luther King said. Everybody can be great, because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics and physics to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love, and you can be that servant. So you want to be like Jesus. You don't demand your rights, and you look for places to serve. Here's the third one. You do what is right even if it's painful. The first, was sac- the first was selfless, the second was service. Here's the third one, that's sacrificial. You're gonna do what's right, even if it's painful. Um, look at verse eight. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, 
even death on a cross. The cross was excruciatingly painful, but it's the ultimate, the ultimate role model of humility. If we want to be like Jesus, that's what we're going to do. If we want joy, it comes through humility. And so we, what would Jesus do in that situation? And you think, well, man, if I do all that, what kind of reward is that? God will reward. Look what he did for Jesus Christ. Verse 9, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, they, if they don't do it here in life, they're going to do it sometime later on, and, and they're not going to have uh, good re- results in that case. Uh, everybody, that means Vla- uh, Vladimir Putin, that means President Trump, that means President Obama, that means Nancy Pelosi, that means Lady Gaga or Madonna or Beyonce or J-Lo, everybody in this world, Adolf Hitler, everybody someday will bow and they will, they will uh, every knee will bow in heaven and earth, under the earth, every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you're either going to do it there or you're going to do it here one day. When we do it here, that's a humbling, that really is a humbling statement. You know why? Because what we're saying is God you're in charge. You're the Lord, not me. That's humbling. I'm not in charge of my own life. I'm not the master of my own destiny. God, you are Lord. And so that really even is a humbling statement. And so I pray, if we want really true joy, it comes through humility. And we'll ask in every situation, what would Jesus do? I wouldn't demand my rights. I look for a place to serve. And I'm going to do what's right, even if it's painful. Let's pray. God, so much of what you teach in the Bible is so much countercultural. The trouble is, we live in the world 168 hours a week, and sometimes we're only in church or only in the Word just maybe a few minutes a week or maybe a few hours. And so we've got this, this battle going on between what we learn in the world and what we learn through your Word, through your church, through what you teach us. And God, sometimes it's really hard. But I also know that, Father, we want to have joy in our life. Help us to know that that comes through humility, not through what we see out in the world. And Father, the more we can emulate Jesus, the better our life's going to be. That someday, we're going to also receive that reward because we know that you oppose the proud and you give grace to the, you give grace to the humble. God, I pray that we be humble. In Jesus' name and for his sake, we pray this prayer. Amen. Let's be still.